can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you too. Excellent. Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Ivy Finoka. Ivy is the Casco Bay Keeper for the South Portland, Maine nonprofit Friends of Casco Bay. In her capacity as baykeeper, Ivy is a full-time advocate for Casco Bay. One way she keeps track of the bay is through a core of volunteers who use smartphones to document change. The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. Today, Women Mind the Water is speaking with a guest who's not herself an artivist, but she is an activist. Ivy describes herself as the eyes, ears, and voice for Casco Bay, a body of water in the Portland, Maine area. Women Mind the Water is pleased to welcome Ivy Vernoka to the podcast. Among her organization's many activities, Friends of Casco Bay sponsors a program known as Water Reporters. This group of volunteers uses their smartphones to photograph Casco Bay in order to document pollution and various aspects of climate change. Welcome, Ivy. Thank you for agreeing to be on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Friends of Casco Bay and the Water Reporter Program. I'd like to begin by asking you to tell me a bit about how you came to care about the ocean. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to be your guest. Although I am not um, directly an artist, the bay that I represent is certainly a work of art. And it's wonderful that you do so much to highlight the work of so many women um, from all different backgrounds who love and work to protect the water. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Your first question was about how my love of the ocean led to my interest in becoming a baykeeper, right? Right. Um, Oh, that is such a large question. Um, So probably like a lot of the other women you have spoken with, I've always been drawn to the water. And it's where I go for sustenance and solace and joy and fulfillment. Um. And so always knew that it was my element. And as I got older um, and was thinking about college and what I wanted to do with my life, I tried to imagine if I could be the person who wasn't the scientist, who wasn't the person who studied water quality or how things were changing, but if I could understand and translate the science into action to get myself and other people to act based on the science to protect bodies of water. And I started my research um, and that kind of work on Lake Champlain in Vermont. Okay. So can you tell me what a baykeeper does? Yes. So a baykeeper is one of many different kinds of water keepers. There's river keepers, lake keepers, so forth. And um, what we do is we are responsible for our body of water. So there's about 350 of us around the world, and we speak on behalf of our body of water. So for people who are familiar with Dr. Seuss, 
I am like the Lorax for Casco Bay and we'll do, we'll be its lead champion and do what I can to um, improve and protect the bay. <laughs> Where did the idea for the water reporter program originate? And why was it something that friends at Casco Bay thought would be useful for the organization? Okay, so those are two different questions. The first question where it originated was um, outside of Friends of Casco Bay. Um, so we as a baykeeping organization are a member of the Waterkeeper Alliance, and that is that network of about 350 of us around the world who represent certain bodies of water. And the Water Reporter app and Waterkeeper Alliance um, worked together to um, facilitate and foster use of this new app that was developed. So we adopted it in 2018. Um, and at the time we were testing other apps too that might be uh, give us useful information that would help us improve and protect the bay. So your second question, why did we choose that app? So our organization is Friends of Casco Bay. And when the organization started 30 years ago, it was primarily a network of volunteers. And so originally, most of our work was done by volunteers. They, we had volunteer water quality monitors um, who worked with then Baykeeper Joe Payne and a, um, a few other staff people as the, as the staff began to grow. And they helped us get a good handle on what the health of the bay was by collecting data at a similar spot. Um, people were assigned different locations from April to October. And we were, that data set we still build upon, but um, we knew that we had to, just as Casco Bay is changing in response to climate change, that, that the data that we're collecting had to change in advance. But we have all these wonderful volunteers. So we were looking for um, what information do we need? What data do we need that we can't collect on our own, but with our network of volunteers we could get that would help us do our job? And that's how we came up with Water Reporter. These are people who are collecting observational data, a lot on the effects of either pollution or climate change around the Bay. And with that observational data, um, we then know where to go out in the field, or it helps us really hone in on areas and document results so that we can act to protect the Bay. So how much effort goes into overseeing the program? For example, how much training do the volunteers need? So, um, Someone could get started as easily as having a smartphone and signing up for the app without any training. And that was during the first year, the training was primarily on how to do a post. And then because our volunteers are the wonderful people they are that help us so much, they started coming to us with questions like, how do I tell the difference between eelgrass and salt marsh? And um, how do I know if this sheen is just a natural uh, breakdown of biological material or if it's an oil spill. And so um, we started then started providing training on um, specific topics for our, our volunteers. So it's you can have as little or as much training as um, as you would like and observe in whatever way you want to.
Okay. So um, it sounds like a relatively new program. I think you said 2018. So that's yes. about three years. And in that three years, what sort of information have you obtained? So um, one of the first very important things that the water reporters did was we were trying as a staff to document nuisance algal blooms in the near shore area. And nuisance algal blooms are those big green mats of algae that grow and smother clam flats when there's too much nitrogen loading to a particular near shore area of the bay. And just between Mike and me trying to get everywhere at low tide, it was just not possible. It's a big bay with a lot of nooks and crannies. So we had some data from various locations and our water reporters took that over and really began honing in on sections of the bay for us and documenting um, the algal blooms over the course of the summer and so with their help with that, I was able to use their photo documentation to get um, certain coves of Casco Bay listed on a non-point source priority list so that they can get funding um, to be cleaned up. So that was one of the earliest um, successes. Uh, sometimes we've had uh, reports of pollution that we're then able to turn over to proper officials and get those investigated and get the, the problem taken care of. Um, and more recently, I would say that the water reporters have really helped us start to document erosion and examples of sea level rise and the other kinds of changes that we need to track over time so that we can see where Casco Bay is being most impacted by climate change and help identify ways to make it resilient. So can you tell me about one of the more interesting photos you've received and uh, how you have used it? Oh, they're all interesting. And some of them, you know, since, since you do focus on arts, some of them are just gorgeous. And so I'm going to take a moment to, to talk about one of beauty. Um, and there was a post, I believe it was last summer from Trish Peterson um, out by Jewel Island. And she captured this eelgrass bed that was the poster child for what I wish all eelgrass beds could look like. It was so healthy and beautiful and just waving in this clear water and it was just a, a magnificent post that I, I see in my mind and it's such a great reference photo for it. This is what eelgrass should be if it's healthy and unpolluted and unravaged by green crabs. So that was um, uh, one of my favorites. Um, another telling post example was one of our water reporters out on and I'm doing this just off the top of my head. So I want you to know that um, they're, they're all great. Um, I go to the app frequently to, to go through and see what people are seeing around the bay. And I should also mention that we do a post of the month. And those are, I think those are recorded on our webpage now. So that every month we're, we're looking at something that sort of highlights something um, that's going on at that particular time in the bay. So one of the another example I was going to highlight to you is um, a post from Great Diamond Island, um, and what um, 
what I really recall about this one is this was a documentation of erosion over time caused by, you know, changing um, storm events. And it was a by a, a person who had uh, happened to have an older photo of the beach from before we started Water Reporter and then documented what it, it looks like now. And you could really see the change. And that's exactly what we're hoping that this app does is that, you know, it, Photos that people take now um, might be that area might be completely different in two or three years if we have a major storm or sea level continues to rise. So, I mean, maybe you wouldn't see sea level rise sort of that quickly, but um, it's the, it documented the changes over time in such a great way that the picture is worth a thousand words kind of way. So you look at algal blooms and uh, erosion, any other aspects? Yes, um, sea level rise. Uh, we've had um, sheens. Uh, we've had people um, documenting wildlife um, when there was uh, the great white shark attack last summer. There were posts um with uh, seals that had been um, uh, attacked by by sharks as well. It's really anything related to the health of the bay. And then because the bay is also so beautiful, um, there are also images that are just beautiful, whether they're uh, birds diving or, like I said, that eelgrass post was just, it was a so water reporter data as well as just something that makes you feel good. Yes. So, I mean, I think, right. Like when we're dealing with climate change and this level of crisis, you need to feel good too. <laughs> you need right. to have those reminders of why we do this. So in the six years you've served as baykeeper, what changes have you noticed in the bay? So by changes, do you just mean anything? Yeah. Okay. So um, six years in in observational terms is still a fairly short time. So um, I think what's happened during that time, we continue to see uh, water temperature going up and that our winters, the water temperature in the winters is warmer. So um we're, we're seeing that as a, as a definite continued change in the bay that is having consequences that we don't fully know yet what it means. Um, we've seen things, uh, much more drought over the summer uh, periods. Well, July was not a drought, but um, overall, there have been more periods of drought. And so this summer, the bay is saltier than usual, even with all the the rain in, in July, which is interesting. Um, um, during the course of my tenure, we went to continuous monitoring, which means we have stations in the bay that collect data every hour of every day. And two of those stations have been in less than a year, but the first station is in its sixth season. And we're we're so we're beginning to get a long enough data set to understand more about bay dynamics more about ocean acidification and the potential consequences of that and how the other factors like warming waters and um 
such are, you know, the complications that all of that has when you look at it together. So that's what we're seeing. That's some of what we're seeing on the, uh, on the water side. Um, you know, there's some, some shifts in species that we observe. Um, we definitely saw more, uh, we see more nuisance algal blooms in the near shore than, than we used to see. I think really what I can say is, um, from what we observe, things are changing fast and we taking this into the baykeeping role, we need to act as best we can with what we know, making projections into the future. And we need to be nimble and adaptive so that as things continue to change, we can continue to change how we help the Bay adapt to climate change. Okay. So, Do you think these changes are unique to Casco Bay or are they representative of bigger changes extending beyond Maine's coast? These changes are... are the, the ocean is changing fundamentally in response to climate change. And what's happening in Casco Bay uh, will share some characteristics of what's happening more globally and in some ways will be different. And um, so, for example, um, wh- what the impacts of climate change are in Casco Bay may be different than, than down east in Maine, because the, the water is still colder, the shoreline is different. So, uh, so yes, we everywhere is experiencing the impacts of climate change, and everywhere is changing and sharing some characteristics of the problem: warming temperatures, changing circulation patterns, rising sea level, changing weather patterns. Um, all of those things have an aspect: acidification. So I'd like to end by asking if you would offer three key things that concern you about the state of the ocean in general, and then suggest ways that individuals can help improve the conditions. You know, this, this is such, it's such a big question and it's such a daunting question in some ways. And I, I almost feel like I just want to step back from the question and say that, um, I think really the biggest thing we need to do is think beyond just ourselves and think collectively, like we're a world of people and we also are connected to our ocean. And it is, it's the environment that we go to for sustenance and so much other life depends upon. And I th- this isn't exactly answering your question, but it's what we need to do. The solutions are bigger than Casco Bay. They're bigger than what Friends of Casco Bay can do. They take a world. And it would be in my fantasy world, we would put aside politics. We would put aside anger. We would all recognize that there's a problem and roll up our sleeves and listen to one another and figure this out. If we made this mess, we can fix it. And I wish I had the magic wand to wave and say, and so it shall be. Thank you, Ivy, for sharing that. So I've been speaking with Ivy Finoka for the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast. Ivy, uh, thanks again for talking to us about the nonprofit Friends of Casco Bay and specifically the water uh, program known as... Uh, Water Reporter. It's a program that uses smartphone photographs to document changes along Casco Bay in Maine. 
The Women Mind the Water Artivist podcast series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the song Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson. Thank you for listening.